Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Alan, glad to see continued improvement on the health front. Uh, yes, my goodness. I'm, uh, my voice might even be getting better. I, my, whatever. Well, you do sound a whole lot better, and uh, glad we're doing this once again. Joining us for this edition is Chitin Mirichle, co-founder and CEO of Pittsburgh-based autonomous trucking startup Locomation. Dr. Mirzle is a former special faculty commercialization specialist at the National Robotics Engineering Center at Carnegie Mellon Robotics Institute. Glad you could join us. Thanks for having me, Fred. Jet, nice to have you. Go Steelers. <laughs> Go Steelers. I didn't know up until very recently you are a Yinzer, Alan. Uh, yes, I'm a Yinzer. I'm a Yinzer. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not going to ask like if they're playing on Sunday. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> we are playing on Sunday. Oh, golf. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> well, we'll start off, Chitin, uh, asking you to give us uh, the overview of what Locomation is doing, what, what you're all about. Of course, let me give you a quick rundown. Uh, Locomation is a new startup company, as I said, uh, working on autonomous driving solutions for semi-trucks. We are coming from a deep background in building autonomous vehicles for different applications uh, as part of uh, Carnegie Mellon's Robotics Institute for military purposes, for some commercial purposes, etc. So we uh, really understand intimately Uh, the true capabilities of automation today, autonomous driving today, and what is still required uh, to do in order to validate, in order to further develop the technology for some higher levels of uh, automated task deployments. What we want to do with Locomation is we want to build a product as soon as possible with enough uh, full autonomy in it so that we can go and start providing value to the freight industry today. And then once we reach that point, we will quickly iterate and, of course, we uh, we will keep uh, advancing our system further and further. With that note, what we are starting with is what we call an autonomous relay convoying solution, or ARC for short. Here's how it works. Imagine that you have uh, two trucks fully loaded on CDA, and you want to send the two trucks to CDB that happens to be, say, uh, several hundred miles or up to a thousand miles uh, from CDA. Today, uh, you have two options of doing that. You either can send the the trucks individually with one driver in them, and it takes longer than a day to actually drive. So halfway through, the drivers have to stop, uh, sleep in the truck, wait wait for the next day, and then do the remaining part of the uh, journey, which which takes longer. Or if there is some time pressure, you can send a single truck with two drivers in it. That's in the industry called a team driving. And this way, two drivers can actually take turns driving the same truck so that the truck and its load can actually get to CDB without stopping in the midway. That is faster, but of course, it's not uh, as cheap. What Locomation is doing is, going back to the original scenario, assume that we have two trucks and we have two drivers in two trucks. The two drivers leave their depots or their hubs in CDA and manually driving the trucks through the urban areas, through the city driving, and onto the highway. 
Once on the highway, you imagine there is a, a big green button to engage the system. And once you press that a big green button, the locomotion system is engaged. And once our system is engaged, the driver in the front truck remains in control. And uh, at that point, the second truck, the follower truck, turns into a proper level four fully autonomous truck. So the driver in the follower truck is not needed for driving tasks. So the, the uh, driver in the second truck can stand, leave the driver's seat, go into the sleeper berth and rest. At that point, only one driver is on the clock and driving, but two trucks are magically moving. They go like that for a couple of hours, couple of hundred miles, and at predetermined locations, we basically have two trucks swap places in uh, on the road so that the two drivers can take turns being in the lead position and the other uh, driver can rest in the interim. And when they are getting close to CDB, we uh, press that uh, green button again and disengage the convoy. At that point, the uh, drivers go back to manually driving their respective trucks. They go off the highway just like they do today. They do the last part of the city driving and they reach their destination. When we look at the uh, overall how this long haul trucking uh, works, over 90% of overall driving actually happens on the interstates. And uh, with that backdrop, what uh, what our system provides today is an enormous uh, value proposition because at any given time, as I said, only one driver is actively driving, but two trucks are moving, which means doubling the uh, productivity of the driver or reducing the labor-related costs or distributing the labor-related costs over twice as much volume. On top of that, since two trucks follow each other very closely, both trucks benefit from reduced air drag, and they end up saving fuel and reduce carbon to emissions. Uh, we project that uh, each truck will save around 8% fuel. And when you put uh, this fuel savings and the labor-related improvements together, we are looking at approximately 30% improvement in the operating expenses, which is a magical 10x factor because today, with the uh, inherent challenges of the industry, the old school uh, antiquated practices in the industry, most fleets operate with 3 to 5% profit margin. And we are uh, bringing another 30% extra margin to them. And most important thing from a technical point of view, why it's very appealing for us is this is something that we think a very good mashup in the very near term of what humans are very good at and very capable of and what machines are very good at and very capable of. We are basically automating a fully driver, a, full, a, a part of the driving task, but we don't let go of the human decision making. So the lead driver in the front truck can still interpret all the subtleties, all the interesting uh, unplanned activities on the roads, like a very different kind of construction yard, it is an emergency vehicle, a cop trying to pull you over uh, to let uh, an emergency vehicle go, or a reckless driver wobbling in the lane. These are uh, very, very subtle cues that as human drivers, we pay attention to thousands of them every second without even realizing it, and that basically impacts the way we drive. We believe this is a form of artificial general intelligence, and while we are confident that we will reach a position where we can safely claim machines are now capable of handling all these intricacies on the road, that day is clearly not today. And we want to get to the market, and we want to get to deploy a product as soon as possible, and we believe our way of uh, deploying autonomous convoys 
provides a perfect stepping stone and perfect uh, first um, deployment case that comes with a great business value and that also comes with a, a great understanding of how this system can be validated and certified for safety. How closely is vehicle two following truck number one? Perfect question. In our commercial deployment, um, the distance will the distance is not a fixed distance. Let me start with that. It's basically a time distance. So it's a function of how fast you are going. But uh, our goal is for 70 miles an hour highway speeds in our commercial deployment scenario, the distance between the two trucks will be less than 10 meters. We are shooting for seven or eight meters or in other uh, terms, about 20 feet uh, gap distance. Uh, at this, which point there is uh, most of the vehicles on the interstate won't be able to physically fit in that uh, space. And if someone were to try to to get between, you mm -hmm. know, la last minute exit kind of moon maneuvers, right. something like that, how, how, what the, happens? Well, perfect question again. The uh, since the follower truck is a proper level four truck, it actually is capable of handling any unexpected things that can happen in its own universe. And its own universe is deliberately limited between itself and the back of the trailer in front of it. So uh, at any given point, our system is uh, planning for not just what's going to happen under normal circumstances in the next millisecond, but what else could happen, what kind of unexpected uh, things might happen in the next millisecond or so, which is called evasive planning in the literature. So at any given point, we don't have just a single plan to follow through. We have a single main plan to that we intending to uh, that we intend to follow, but we also have many many other plans, many, many other what if scenarios that are ready to go. What if uh, the lead ha all of a sudden slams on the brakes? What would I do? What if someone tries to cut in from the left? What would I do? What if I lose a tire? What would I do? What if uh, one of my sensors go bad? What would I do? And we can enumerate these lists. The important thing is that this is a finite list and we can basically get the system uh, prepared for anything that uh, that can really hurt the operations and have mitigation plans and have the system ready to respond to any of this. Sometimes we like to call it a, a lizard brain or a limbic brain. That's not as advanced as reading all the semantic cues and interpreting every single detail in the world, but it's very good at uh, basically preserving safety, staying safe and uh, uh, protecting the safety of the environment as well. That is the big, big, big safety goal. And that is our top priority. I know uh, Alan wants to jump in. One other, one quick question before he does here. Uh, what is it that you are building? What is it that locomation adds to this? You're not building the trucks, right? We are not building the trucks. We are building the technology. But the way we are packaging it is, uh, in the near term, uh, we will be offering this technology as an add-on autonomy kit that can be bolted on the uh, trucks of the fleets, existing fleets. So we are basically uh, selling autonomy capabilities to large fleets as an aftermarket uh, product in the near term. In the longer term, we anticipate that this technology will come pre-installed uh, by the uh, truck manufacturers. Uh, but it's a long play. It's uh, at least several years away, and we don't want to wait that long. We want to just go and start providing value as soon as possible. 
So we are starting with an aftermarket kit. It has a, a hardware component and it also has, of course, a software component. For the hardware component, we have a multitude of sensors. We are using LIDARs, cameras, and radars. We have, uh, of course, onboard computers to do number crunching and run our autonomy algorithms. And we have uh, actuators uh, to basically turn the underlying truck into a robot, ro robot truck that a computer can control, which means we have ways of uh, turning the steering wheel, we have ways of uh, pressing the brake pedal, and we have ways of accelerating and controlling transmission, controlling the blinkers, etc., etc. Alan, want to jump in? Well, yeah, uh, Chin, yes, uh, this is, uh, of course, not necessarily a new concept. We've, we've seen it in the Tour de France um, and so on with bicycle races. You know, you sort of have somebody out there breaking the wind and everybody and the other people dragging back behind it and then and then basically sharing the load and, and going back and switching it at some point. And in fact, you know, this is a, a very fundamentally valuable concept. Um, what's what do you consider your secret sauce here that that really is going to allow you to to basically go in and 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 have uh, uh, drivers, first of all, from the same company uh, do this. But but what is probably a bigger market is drivers from different companies mm -hmm. who happen to be going in the same direction. So they're hopping on the Pennsylvania Turnpike in Pittsburgh, um, in a sense, uh, well, heading west uh, to California. Um, um, they they once with uh, with um, U.S. Express and the other ones with uh, Hunt or somebody. Um, um, how do you, how do you manage all that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent question. I think uh, there is no single silver bullet in when it comes to magic sauce. We our strength usually uh, mostly comes from our deep understanding of not just the autonomous technology part of it, but also the uh, freight optimization, freight analysis uh, part of it as well. So we believe from the business part of it, the key to success lies in uh, proper focus, properly focusing on the right markets to have the right penetration levels before uh, being too ambitious. So what we are doing is we are starting with uh, large fleets uh, about 1,000 trucks or like several hundred trucks and up. Uh, and the reason for that is usually these big fleets have enough density in their operations so that probabilistically they have more loads uh, leaving the same uh, regions and going towards the same regions. So it's easier to coordinate inside a fleet. And uh, this is replicable across multiple fleets. And we will be uh, looking into how to mix and match trucks from different fleets, uh, smaller fleets, maybe even independent owner operators, as we go, as we build the critical mass into our network. And this will also enable us to save the time so that we can get the right tooling, right kind of optimization and scheduling instruments in. Because right now, uh, the dominant way of scheduling, dispatching, uh, optimizing the freight networks are not towards platooning or not towards convoying. They are all uh, circulating around single drivers and single uh, single trucks. So we basically are properly gating our deployment so that we can go hand in hand with the technology development, with the fleet penetrations, and with uh, a broader market readiness. That's on the business side of that. When it comes to the technical side, uh, obviously our vast experience uh, building AVs for a really long time uh, is our uh, biggest asset. And it comes in two forms. 
we have a lot of know-how in how to build AVs, but perhaps even more importantly, we have enormous amount of know-how not to, or I like to call it negative know-how, because we've done so many different things and tried so many different methods. We know what won't work, and we know the early signs of uh, a potentially ill-fated approach when it comes to scaling it up. That enables us to uh, make our decision-making uh, much more laser-focused and really focus on what really matters and uh, avoid some otherwise more common uh, early-stage pitfalls and mistakes. I, I agree with you that that's a very, very good uh, uh, knowledge base to, 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 to have. So um, um, you, um, you have a, a um, uh, I agree with you uh, that that is very valuable. Uh, the even more hardcore technical part of that, maybe the last element I would like to mention is uh, when you are trying to get two fully loaded semi-trucks, and a fully loaded semi-truck is 80,000 pounds, within a couple of meters of each other going at 70 miles an hour, all of a sudden you need impeccable accuracy in the way uh, you are planning your uh, motions or you are commanding these trucks because uh, everything is like going really fast and everything is a very high-speed projectile. Uh, our past experience with especially the military applications taught us very, very valuable lessons and we devised very valuable methods for characterizing what an underlying platform, what a given vehicle can do, characterize it in such a way that we can then use these models in our motion planning and in our vehicle control so that we can safely command these beasts, if you will, at highway speeds and still confidently and safely keep them uh, within a couple of uh, meters of each other. That's one of our secret sources. We have very deep experience in uh, building very accurate and very uh, capable vehicle modeling, vehicle dynamics, and motion planning uh, approaches. Uh, if you're, if Go you're going to keep these uh, a couple meters apart, um, what, what kind of problems do you run into with respect to, for example, the bridge formula or state-by-state or state regulations that, that, have, that basically tell you uh, uh, you shouldn't be following that close at highway speeds? Another excellent question. Let me tackle the first one first, uh, the bridges and infrastructure challenges. Some states, including our beloved home state, Pennsylvania, uh, have some bridges that are really old. And uh, there is some concerns around uh, whether the bridges are rated for that kind of weight density and or uh, multiple loaded trucks within, within a couple of meters of each other cruising through a bridge uh, very, very closely. That might resonate the bridge in, a, in an unexpected way. So uh, we are obviously working with the uh, regulators and the state officials on identifying these potential threats and uh, planning our missions, planning our deployment around that. The second part is easier to handle. Normally, uh, each vehicle, uh, not just the trucks, but each vehicle is supposed to follow a minimum following distance rule. Uh, the, what is that minimum distance changes from state to state. In some states, it's very explicitly written like 300 feet or so. In some other states, it's just vaguely stated as a reasonable following speed. Uh, now, about 29, maybe 30 states as of today, have explicit legislation enabling uh, platoons, enabling convoys of connected vehicles, connected especially commercial vehicles, to be exempt from this minimum following distance rule. Uh, 
so in the permissive states, we can actually go and deploy our system. We can quote unquote uh, officially tailgate the uh, the front truck and uh, basically still be legal. Uh, for that to work, of course, there are a lot of details like how are you going to know when when well, when a law enforcement when a state patrol uh, looks at it two trucks uh, tailgating each other? How are you going to know whether that's a legitimate platoon or just tailgating? For that, each state uh, is now working on, and we are working with them. We are assisting them, and we are sharing our own uh, ideas around it to design a set of uh, signage to the outside world that uh, the, these platoon-capable trucks will carry and will clearly indicate when they are in the platooning mode uh, so that the law enforcement guys and uh, also the surrounding traffic can know, uh, even though these trucks are separate entities, they are virtually linked and they move as one. Especially when the trooper, the trooper or other drivers look up and see there's not a driver behind the wheel of that second vehicle. Yeah, yeah of, of course. You, you, we should not catch them uh, off guard for that. So the, the trucks will carry the proper signage indicating that these are autonomous and connected trucks and they are actually allowed on the, that, that piece of the interstate. Yeah, and I think it's also good for the surrounding drivers who, who the you know, as these trucks probably going in the right-hand lane, passing a, 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 an exit where a car might think that uh, one of the trucks is going to give way so that they can pull over and make the exit uh, so that that driver realizes that uh, that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, so there are some, there's some uh, societal details that have to be um, that have to be sort of gone over to make uh, these things actually, uh, you know, friendly uh, to the uh, to sharing the road with uh, with human drivers, and certainly uh, as much information that that can be uh, put on the truck without making it uh, completely obscene um, uh, is uh, so that uh, people around it can can understand what's going on. Um, uh, is is really important. So I uh, applaud you for doing that piece of it. What about the the interstate portion of this, and and how you're going to get the permissions necessary to to make this work? Because obviously these vehicles are going between states, and right now all of the regulations are being taken up more or less one state at a time when it comes to autonomous vehicles. Uh, very good question. So when you look at the uh, state-by-state map of regulations, we actually see a lot of the uh, states with heavy freight traffic already uh, in the green zone of permissive legislation. They already have, uh, they already passed legislation either in form of a proper law or in form of an executive order. So uh, most of the uh, routes that are very known, very uh, dense arteries of uh, freight transportation go through in uh, all these adjacent states with permissive legislation. So we don't necessarily have to do play that uh, checker uh, game. Having said that, there are also uh, in, uh, interesting initiatives being formed. Uh, ideally, one day, one day, hopefully not too far into future, we will have some federal laws governing the deployment uh, of uh, automated and connected vehicles, but we are not there yet. Uh, some states, uh, again, adjacent states sometimes, come together and form coalitions of dealing with uh, how are we going to enable autonomous vehicles and connected vehicles to be deployed 
and uh, to go through this four or five states in a row. So instead of each state working on a separate legislation independently and trying to solve the essentially the same questions of what kind of signage, what kind of safety elements, how are we going to uh, validate whether a system is safe enough for deployment, etc. They join forces and they try to define this uh, four state, five state corridors that can actually effectively uh, be uh, compliant with uh, the safety, safe uh, deployment rules as a one virtual big geography. And uh, these uh, coalitions interact with the new companies, the technology providers like Locomation, and we work with them in uh, trying to identify uh, what are the questions that we need to answer? What are the questions the law enforcement people, regulations people, the infrastructure people uh, need need answers for? Uh, compiling a, a combined list of these questions and tackle all the questions as a big batch. There are a bunch uh, already in place. Uh, there is uh, something between uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, and Michigan. There's another uh, initiative between uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. So these, again, uh, not, not surprisingly, these are all states with extremely heavy uh, freight traffic. And one more positive note on the regulations is that when we look at the uh, permissive states today, more than half of the states have that legislation. Uh, and with the states uh, having friendly legislations, we can actually cover well more than uh, half, at, or I think uh, the real number is over 60% of the freight already passes through uh, states with uh, friendly legislations. So going forward, there are still a lot of uh, vague elements and there are there is a lot of work to be done collectively, not just on our end or not just on the regulator's end, but collectively as a community, we have to solve a bunch of uh, problems and address a bunch of questions. But the momentum and uh, the existing achievements in the regulatory landscape are so encouraging. We don't anticipate uh, regulations to become the roadblock or the, uh, the deal breaker in massive deployment of autonomous vehicles. It's going to be a different uh, questions and maybe different peripheral processes like how is the uh, the commercial insurance going to work in that in in the uh, world of autonomous uh, vehicles but regulations is uh, regulatory landscape is already very supportive and we expect it to become only uh, better from from uh, this point on yes uh, the uh, regulatory standpoint uh, is um, is in a state of flux but one hopes that uh, that the uh, Federal Motor Carrier uh, Administration in Washington will uh, sort of step up and who knows where NHTSA is going to be. And I I know that here in New Jersey, we're trying to create an environment that is uh, welcoming to this technology and, and will enable this. So uh, I think it's at uh, some point soon, uh, it will be, um, all that will be taken care of. Uh, I guess the other piece of it is, I don't know if you can divulge it, uh, this this requires a certain amount of investment by each entity uh, that puts it into each truck. Um, uh, do you have, or can you say anything about what the the size of that investment is, and 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 uh, uh, how do you how do you get the process started? This is sort of a a network effect uh, type of type of situation. Um, you don't really get the real benefit of this until. 
uh, a substantial number of trucks. Uh, each individually have the technology to to basically partner in this. And uh, so that, uh, you know, in going from A to B, well, what's the probability that trucks going from A to B uh, at about the same time uh, have this technology? And until the, uh, you know, and that's the product of the probability that uh, each of the individual trucks has it. And whenever you start taking products of probabilities, uh, the numbers uh, get very small unless uh, the probabilities right. are very high. Right. So, uh, you know, the, it's uh, the issue. It's, it's a getting started issue. Um, um, right. you know, it's, a, it's a bootstrapping problem. Yeah, <laughs> yes. It's a bootstrapping problem. Very good question. And uh, this is something also we've been very cognizant of from the very beginning. That's why we are choosing our go-to-market strategy and our initial focus very, very carefully. We are focusing on the uh, lanes, the big fleets, operating on dedicated lanes or having already uh, enough density between the same locations. So the traffic is already there. You already know that there is this handful of, I don't know, 100, 200, 500 trucks going from the same uh, vicinity to the same vicinity every single day. Uh, we are focusing on these uh, pockets of opportunity in the near term. That basically uh, helps us get past that gridlock problem in the bootstrapping. So our goal is, even if there is only one fleet using our system in the world, and even if they are using it only for two trucks, those two trucks will be profitable for them. They don't need any other like tens of thousands of trucks to be around in order for them to recoup the, uh, their investment. That is our key motivation. And if you can achieve that, which we did, uh, then you have positive unit economics at heart, and then you can actually scale uh, very, very fast. And with the... With by replicating this plan and by penetrating into large fleets and automating most of their operations first, we will basically inadvertently address the bootstrapping problem. And when, it time, when the time comes for making the platform available for smaller fleets or maybe uh, enabling interfleet platooning or interfleet cooperation, we will already have the critical mass in the network. So the probabilities will then make sense for different trucks from different fleets to come together and, and cooperate. But if that does not happen, since we are building the system from get-go for, for being profitable for that particular fleet on that particular lane with that particular line of activity, we will still be fine. That's all, again, uh, instead of trying to boil the entire ocean at once and uh, solve this overall matchmaking problem for everybody at once, we are do taking a very contrary and reverse approach, and we are starting with uh, the specific applications, specific uh, lanes, specific deliveries that we know we can platoon with. And what about the investment size? Oh, yeah. Uh, let me get to that part. What is the product and what, what will it take for fleets to adopt it? Of course, since we are still in the, uh, the, the development and validation stage, the prices are uh, only uh, good projections. But we anticipate that the uh, hardware costs of the uh, product will be around uh, $40,000. And on top of that, we will be charging a monthly fee uh, for the, uh, the subscription to the technology. All in all, <clears throat> when you calculate the numbers, one fleet, after paying us all the fees and the hardware and everything, they will see a net benefit of about $3,000 per month per truck. And we anticipate that our engagement, our subscription will run for three years. So at the end of three years, from each truck, 
a fleet will see a net savings of $100,000, which is a, a tremendous number. And for the hardware part of it, there are two different models that we are entertaining. One is the upfront uh, payment of the hardware, in which case the fleets will basically have a repay period or payback period of uh, about 11 months, which is again in the trucking industry considered as a very good deal. Or uh, we can finance the hardware part so that you can basically start with zero down payment and you can just pay as you go from the savings that you will realize, which is a very cash flow friendly approach. Well, that, that sounds that sounds great. Uh, just to comment on, uh, you know, on on a particular lane with with a small entity, at least in my um, uh, looking at, uh, at motor carrier traffic, uh, uh, the, the, the 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 chances are that uh, those trucks would be leaving at about the same time. Is usually um, quite small. Uh, otherwise, they're probably doing pups or something else. Um, and um, and so you know sometimes that that doesn't really materialize as a market. I was wondering if you, uh, for a company that tends to have, you know, lane focused approach uh, and very much lane, or there are a couple uh, um, couple of carriers that they carry flowers from Florida to, to New York and basically go up and down I-95 uh, mm -hmm. with tandem drivers uh, because of the perishable nature of the flowers. And so, you know, they're kind of a, a, a pretty good target. And sort of another one out of Baltimore, which is Cowan, uh, which basically operates up and down the I-95 corridor primarily. I, I guess I'm not divulging. I, hey, I don't know any inside information anyways. Right. I can't divulge in any inside information. But, you know, there, there are a couple of, you know, there are also a couple of folks that, uh, that basically try to compete with uh, FedEx and, and um, FedEx going from New York to California over weekends and uh, basically use tandem drivers. So certainly the, the, the focus needs to be on guys that are big enough uh, that uh, use tandem drivers because, you know, the speed is really important and have lengths that, that, um, that uh, really make sense and so on. So, uh, you know, there, there is a market for this stuff out there. Um, uh, but at times, uh, you know, those guys are busy just trying to make ends meet and um, whether or not they they spend any time with you, uh, I don't know. Um, I've had my trouble get, getting my foot inside right. those doors in the past, whatever. Well, that's put up that, that's definitely though. a challenge. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. But the, the, uh, the interesting part is that now this uh, magical 10x value proposition over what they can realize today is uh, too good to pass on. So uh, the, especially with the larger fleets, they tend to have the... Uh, brain cycles and the bandwidth to basically look into this. Uh, your observations are also on point. Uh, the flowers are a, a very good example, but in general, anything perishable uh, has a, lo a lot of time pressure in getting uh, from point A to point B. Another good example is the, the supply chain routes. They tend to be very fixed routes, always coming from the same supplier, going to the same plant or going to the same warehouse. And especially with the modern intentions of running uh, zero inventory uh, manufacturing, lean inventory manufacturing, just-in-time manufacturing. These uh, companies, especially in the automotive industry, that's very, very prevalent. A lot of uh, they, are, they have a lot of trucks coming and going around the clock, and there's an endless supply of incoming and outgoing trucks. These are uh, prime applications of this um, 
technology. And of course, we are relying more and more on e-commerce. Everybody wants everything to be delivered in the next 10 minutes now, and it's not going to uh, get any slower. So there is a huge pressure on getting things or perfecting the supply chain behind this e-commerce beast so that we can just uh, click on somewhere on the screen and something materializes on the doorstep. We will continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor this week, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. If you don't know about ETFs, they can be a good way to spread risk. You already know we're focused on transportation and mobility, and so is the MOTO ETF. So it's well worth your time to check it out. Some other news to get to, uh, Alan. Uh, Waymo this week announced it's partnering with UPS to transport packages in the Phoenix area from UPS store location to local UPS sorting facilities. Uh, Waymo is saying those vehicles will still have safety operators on board. But here we go. Another step for Waymo. Sure. Uh, I don't know why you would uh, put safety operators on board uh, just to save, uh, you know, the packages from crashing. But, you know, uh, it would seem to be the, f- the first opportunity you have for to redo- remove the, uh, uh, the attendant is uh, for those particular operations. But uh, I guess in the beginning, of course, have the attendant on board. And if you're, you know, trying to broaden your, your base of, of customers, absolutely uh, move goods as well well as people. Uh, This is um, mainly uh, uh, addressing uh, uh, rather somewhat large uh, volumes. This isn't to the doorstep. This is really uh, uh, to take it again uh, from the uh, from manufacturers and and uh, put them to distribution centers. Uh, at some point, uh, I guess they'll go from the distribution centers to the homes, and and I guess uh, that's when they partner with Amazon. UPS also announced this week that it's buying ten thousand electric vehicles from UK-based Arrival and is taking a minority stake in that company. So. Right. So again, um, not to say that 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 looks like uh, what Amazon just did with Rivian, but uh, you know, uh, yes, uh, it looks like uh, part of the uh, the uh, delivery process uh, from uh, distributions to, to to homes is going to be done with electric vehicles, and um, and the companies are doing their appropriate investments in those uh, uh, electric vehicles. The California Public Utilities Commission has granted Aurora a permit allowing it to carry passengers and self-driving vehicles in the state. Under the permit, the passengers can't be charged for the rides and safety operators have to be on board. Their removal requires an okay from the California Division of Motor Vehicles. And they have to report disengagements. And of course, last night when I saw that, I tried to get on the uh, uh, California Public Utilities site and they were down. Um, I believe because I was trying to check at the time, I believe four other companies uh, have uh, obtained a similar um, uh, authority from uh, from the Public Utilities Commission. 
um, which uh, up to this point has had some very strange uh, um, um, constraints on these vehicles. Uh, they, of course, can't serve uh, anybody that's going to an airport. They can't charge anybody for it. Uh, but uh, those regulations were put into place uh, to do testing of the business concept associated with this. And uh, that's what's uh, happening here. Now, the question is, is for Aurora, who really um, has been claiming that they're not in the business of uh, going out there and and providing the service. In other words, they don't want to run the the uh, lemonade stand. Uh, they just want to pro provide the lemonade. And uh, I guess uh, they'll go out there and do some demonstration that their lemonade is consumable. And um, and out of that, uh, hope that somebody uh, then uh, orders up the lemonade and provides a lemonade stand as the business that's out there providing mobility uh, as a service and, and on demand. And hopefully it's a shared ride on demand mobility as a service. In the meantime, the wild ride continues for Tesla. I'm just checking <laughs> now. It looks like it's up another 11% roughly today. Um, <laughs> shares continuing to soar. They reported the earnings that beat expectations. They said they should be comfortably able to deliver more than 500,000 vehicles this year. And the Model Y is arriving early in, in March. Yeah, so, so in in the uh, e letter I put in the uh, the chart from last night that basically uh, showed the uh, overnight. Uh, uh, um, um, price expectations after the close of the market. I've never seen a chart like that, that basically just popped and then popped again uh, right after the, the, uh, the announcement and, and pop, uh, pop basically of order 10%. Uh, I sure am glad I didn't short uh, Tesla at, uh, at 420. Um, but my goodness, every time I look at that chart, uh, Looks like a bubble to me, but apparently not. Who knows? I mean, what a ride. Uh, and uh, congratulations to them. Um, uh, congratulations to them. And Elon Musk is saying even full self-driving in a Tesla will require at least some driver intervention. Welcome news from your perspective. Well, you know, I, it, I assume he's taken my definition of self-driving. Self-driving requires that a driver be attentive, um, diligent, and, uh, and, uh, and licensed at all times uh, when the system is on, ready to take over. So that's what self-driving is. And uh, adding the word full on top of it, well, since you have to do that all the time anyway, I don't know, full is really a redundant term, uh, but that's what self-driving is. Any thought that you can sit there and maybe sleep or you know, really sit there and focus on a video, and uh, and not uh, look out and and be cognizant of what's happening around you, is is like just completely nuts. Uh, so uh, so uh, that's what self driving is. At some point, he'll go to the driverless uh, aspect, and driverless is the antithesis of self driving. That means that that you don't have a driver. Uh, you don't have an attentive person in there, and uh, nor don't you have. You don't even want one uh, because uh, they can probably do. They'll probably end up doing more damage uh, than help. Uh, so that's the driverless piece, 
and um, and uh, he isn't even talking about that one. Uh, so um, yeah, I don't know how he does his his autonomous taxi, which I prefer is a better name than robo taxi. But again, I don't agree with. Seems like I have to invent my own names. I must be uh, whatever, <laughs> but who knows? But uh, that's that's sort of the situation that, that exists there. The other sort of, from my perspective, that's interesting about the Tesla thing, and it's probably because of of my perspective and where I come from, I look at the discussion of the the automation aspects and the safety implications of that automation aspects of the Tesla being being as as almost as newsworthy or as as promotable or as important as the electric vehicle part and um and uh, that is uh, that's just a, an enormous position uh for for the uh the electronics and the and the and the controllers to take it in this vehicle and uh i think it's appropriate i, I I, I suspect without, of course, I do a lot of suspecting without any proof that a lot of people uh, buy the Tesla because of the technology, the driver assistance safety technology that is on there. And, and in some sense, maybe certainly not as much, but as, as a significant component uh, as, as the electric vehicle portion of it. And in a sense, the, uh, the autopilot or whatever your full self-driving or whatever he wants to call it uh, is really an an attraction uh, to the to the consumer of these vehicles uh, that seems to not have uh, any downside. Uh, whereas the electric vehicle continues to have its downsides of of range and uh, uh, range anxiety and uh, and and that sort of thing, uh, and so um, um, hats off to to uh, to Tesla for really uh, uh, bringing those two technologies together to create uh, what right now is uh, is the darling of the marketplace. Chitin, I don't know if you want to chime in here. I don't know if you see Tesla as a potential customer or competitor, maybe both, and maybe a customer in some way. Uh, yeah, I mean, there could be a lot of different synergies. Uh, they obviously, I uh, would like to internalize everything, and they have a, 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 a particular approach to autonomy. Uh, in some levels, I agree with them. In some other levels, we have some disagreements. Well, they're going to have uh, some trucks out there, too. So They, they say so. They say so, and they also say that uh, the trucks will come with full self-driving. So I'm going to leave it to Ellen to interpret what full self-driving would mean in that. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I think what they've said about that is that there's a driver on board. I think I think putting that technology, full self-driving, in trucks is really valuable because because the driving task is, is so difficult. And in fact, it fits in with, with, with what you're doing. The person that's out there driving and responsible for not moving two trucks as opposed to one truck, that gal or that guy needs a lot of support and a lot of help. And, and having some of this uh, technology on board that really provides them uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, that support and the help so that in case, uh, you know, they aren't completely paying attention absolutely every second, they don't die. I think that's extremely valuable to put out there at the head end, uh, not only to let the, 
let the person sleep on the back end. Alan, while you've been speaking out against the wisdom of Tesla's smart summon feature, that's not what you call it. <laughs> yeah, stupid summon. Yeah. Hyundai is highlighting what it calls smart park in a star-filled Super Bowl commercial, which we're going to be seeing in a couple of days with John Krasinski, David Ortiz, Rachel Drach. It shows a Sonata pulling into and out of parking spaces, even tight ones on its own with the owner out of the vehicle. <clears throat> it's a Sonata using a remote, all done with a thick Boston accent. They must have thought the Patriots were going to be in the Super Bowl, but besides that, yeah, you probably, have some comments. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I hate the Patriots because I'm a Stiller fan. And, um, and also, I mean, uh, you know, this is stupid park. Um, as I, uh, and, uh, the, the e-letter will let you, you know, see the commercial if you haven't already seen it, uh, prior to the Super Bowl. Um, but, uh, my goodness, if I'm one of the, uh, no, no, I can't imagine somebody who's in the, who owns the car that this thing slid next to that now can't get into their car to pull it out and uh, what kind of retaliation they're going to do on that poor Sonata. It better be, have a, 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 a non-keyed sur keyable surface or something like that or, and, and windows that don't break. But in Boston, I can't imagine what the retaliation might be in one of those neighborhoods to somebody who basically uh, um, blocks uh, somebody else in. So, Look, um, what, what, what they're showing, if we describe it, is a parking space that might be too tight for 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 me to try to get into. I get out, I push a button on a remote, and the car pulls itself in, and the car is parked in that right. really tight space. And then to get right. out, the same thing in reverse. Sure, but what about the the, the right. two cars <laughs> that are on either side of that? Uh, heaven forbid the driver's side is on both on the either side, uh, or if there's just one driver's side on one side, how's that person supposed to get into their car? They don't have the Sonata. They don't have this. Plus, this is again, uh, you know, a remote operation of a vehicle on a public street. I, if if there's anything, some of this regulation should do is basically forbid that at least for a while. This is like crazy. I mean, you know, sure, 90 some percent of the people are going to do it maybe uh, respectfully, but it only takes a, a few jerks out there to basically ruin it for everybody, uh, which is my same comment with, with, with stupid summon. This is, this is stupid park. Uh, you know, I mean, Come on, man. I'm uh, I'm moving that. <laughs> Come on, man. The Korean government uh, has announced level three safety standards for automated vehicles. And in the latest newsletter, it raises some questions like the monitoring right. for eye closures that's required here. Yeah. So if you're monitoring for eye closures and, and if you... I, th I don't think I think the translation's wrong, but if you have your eyes closed uh, for you know more than four seconds or something like that, the system pulls those and shuts down. L level three, I, I believe, when it was first created, was to create an opportunity for somebody to basically sit there and read a book 
or go to sleep or go in the backseat and do whatever, okay, for whatever amount of time uh, and so on. And, and uh, that's level three. And level three is sort of this uh, no-person land in which it is extremely, extremely dangerous because, one, it basically has a self-driving piece of it and says this thing has to be as good as driverless. In other words, not have the, the, the driver be attentive and, and ready to take over on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's driverless with now a driver coming in there and mucking the thing up and doing some wrong thing. You know, I've argued for years that that if you alert me, oh, take over, you got to take over. And I haven't been paying attention. What am I going to do? I'm going to rip open my shirt. I'm going to expose my Superman sign <laughs> and I'm going to turn the steering wheel, flip the car and, and die. Okay, I don't know what to do in those situations. There's no training pro. Nobody's taken and, 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 and done that. What should be done with so-called level three, which I, I don't think should exist. In other words, uh, and I, it, it just shouldn't exist. Either you're being either you're being moved by a responsible entity, and they're providing the mobility for you. It's mobility as a service, and you're as a rider. You sit back in the back. You're not knocking on the door of the of the cockpit saying, "Hey, let me fly the plane faster," or "Let me fly in fog," or "Let you know." Which never mind on that one. Right. Uh, but uh, but you know you sit back and enjoy the ride, or you're out there basically being alert, monitoring what's going on, and being a responsible entity. I, to me, those are the only two uh, situations. The, 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 the no-person land between those two things is actually uh, should be a, a demilitarized zone uh, that is basically uh, forbidden. So, um, you know, for the Korean government to go out and provide some some conditions on that, I don't know, whatever. I should have uh, taken the easy way out and just forbidden it. And we want to mention that our friend Michael Senna has another information-filled edition of The Dispatcher out. And you've got some highlights in the newsletter once again, Alan. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, it's just, he's just such a wonderful writer. And, uh, and so when you just want some um, enjoyment in sort of this techie world, uh, you just sit back and relax and, and read uh, Michael's stuff. That wraps up this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. We want to thank Chitin Birichle for taking the time to join us. We appreciate it, Chitin. That, that was my pleasure, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And Chet, uh, it was wonderful having you on and, and good luck with what you're doing. And uh, certainly, um, you know, there is a business case for all this. Thank you so much, Ellen. You can follow what Chitin and his team are doing at locomation.ai. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, also on your smart speaker. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening.